Hi, welcome to this EHA Educational Initiative. It is a pleasure to host this podcast about aging and clonal diseases. My name is Raul Cordova. I am the chairman of the EHA Scientific Working Group on Aging and Hematology. I work as the coordinator of the Lymphoma Unit and Geriatric Hematology Program at Fundación Jiménez Díaz University Hospital in Madrid, Spain. This is the first in a comprehensive five-part series about hematologic diseases, diagnosis and treatment in older patients. The purpose of the podcast is to share up-to-date information with patients and physicians about hematology in older adults. This initiative has been funded by the EHA. We have with us Christina Kitchener. She's joining us today to talk about this fascinating topic of aging and clonal diseases. So please, Christina, you can introduce yourself now. Hello, my name is Christina Kirchner, and I'm a junior group leader at the Institute of Cancer Sciences in Glasgow and at the CRUK Beetson Institute. Christina, can you uh, tell us a bit more about your work? Yes, so I'm interested in stem cell aging and cancer, and I really focus on hematopathic stem cell aging. So what I want to know is, what changes occur during aging that makes it more likely that we develop a cancer. And we use a lot of different techniques in the lab for that. For example, we like to use single cell techniques on all sorts of levels, like for kinetics, growth kinetics, for omics approaches. And of course, we use a lot of flow sorting to identify changes in individual stem cells, because we know that really aging is a heterogeneous process. So we need to go down to understand what single cells do and contribute so we can identify causes for cancer that occur with aging. Thank you, Christina. Um, to begin, we have um, some questions coming from our patients that we frequently see in the clinic. Uh, the two questions are the following. How do hematologists define aging? How does this compare to how patients define aging? Is there any difference in our perspective? What's your opinion? Yes, so I, I think probably we do have different opinions. Often patients just think about aging as adding, adding a year to, to their life in general terms and maybe having you know, a slight decline in fitness and, and, and other impairments that might come. But I think as hematologists, we are aware that the immune system changes, the blood composition changes in elderly people and also the way that elderly people process drugs changes. So there might be a slightly different view between the general population and hematologists. The second question coming from patients is this one. How does aging affect the susceptibility to clonal diseases and cancers? Yes, that is a very difficult question. And I think we are still start, like studying this extensively and are trying to understand how aging influences cancer. Of course, we know that mutations accumulate gradually with age. So that means that like the DNA that makes up all your cells changes gradually as you age and accumulates damage. And that can of course then lead to cancer, but it's not as simple as that. But we also know that the microenvironment changes in which the blood cells reside. And we know that those cells communicate quite widely um, throughout the whole organism. And that obviously also leads to the outgrowth of cancers if th this communication is disrupted. But we're really just starting to understand how this works. 
Great, I think we are going to have a fantastic discussion. Uh, so after these two questions coming from patients, let's uh, start with the main discussion. Um, let's begin, Christina, with a definition. Uh, for non-physician listeners, what are clonal diseases? Clones are cells or organisms that are genetically identical. So we know that clonal diseases are illnesses that are caused by the overrepresentation of blood cells derived from a mutant clone. And good examples for that is, for example, AML, MDS, Mueller proliferative neoplasm, or lymphomas. Although we know that myeloid malignancies are most common. These diseases are a result of clonal hemopoiesis, which is really an overrepresentation of blood cells derived from a single clone. You have mentioned clonal hematopoiesis. What's that? Can you explain a bit more about it? So clonal hemopoiesis really evolves over a long period of time and is a result of competition between long-lived stem cells. We know that somatic mutations develop in stem cells over time as we age, and the majority of them will have no impact and um, result and are just silent in the background in, in our blood system. Some of those might actually lead to changes that are detrimental to stem cell and therefore the stem cell will die and have no impact at all. But every now and again, there might be a mutation that offers an advantage to stem cell and therefore lead to clonal outgrowth. And, and this stem cell will be more competitive compared to the other stem cells. So a good example to explain clonal hemopoiesis is really a marathon race. So we know that like in the beginning, runners are really well matched, but then advantages in things like endurance can pay off and enable the runner to perform better and run faster. And the same is true for stem cells, where functional advantages acquired through mutations can really lead to outgrowth or survival advantages. If I understood well, clonal hematopoiesis is an AIDS-related phenomenon. Uh, what does that mean and why is important? Yes, clonal hemopoiesis is linked with advanced age, and that has to do with, with mutations we accumulate over, over time. So they're estimated to be around 10,000 to 200,000 stem cells in the human bone marrow and, and estimates vary widely because obviously we're not able to assess every single stem cell in the human bone marrow um, very easily. But what we know is that as people age, all cells accumulate mutations. And it is estimated that stem cells, for example, accumulate around 10 mutations per year. And these mutations, as I said, the majority will not have any effects. However, sometimes, um, those mutations can occur in coding regions, so regions that really bring by functional changes. And um, we think that by adulthood, most stem cells that we harbor in our bone marrow um, have about two coding mutations. So if we have about 100,000 stem cells, let's say, by adulthood, we will have accumulated 200,000 coding mutations spread across the stem cell population, making them all slightly different. Um, and this heterogeneity can really lead to a competition between stem cells, and it can be propagated into the more mature uh, cell types. And in normal cells, the burden of somatic mutations really increases linearly with age. And that is why some people have started using molecular markers of aging or somatic mutations um, as a marker of aging to create phylogenetic trees. So as we age, our stem cells are acquiring mutations and diversifying. 
what impact that this has? So the good news is that most mutations are non-functional and have no effect. But some mutations are deleterious, which can result in, in their demise. It means that if a stem cell acquires a, mutage, a mutation that um, makes it less competitive compared to other stem cells, this mutation or the stem cell might die out. Some mutations, however, provide an advantage, which increases the likelihood of hematopoietic stem cell and progenitor cells to outcompete its competitors over time. And really, the most potent mutations are those that affect self renewal by altering DNA methylation or epigenetic regulation. Christina, you have mentioned a relative new concept for most of us, which is epigenetics. What happens when we acquire mutations in genes involved in epigenetic regulation? So mutations in genes involved in epigenetic regulation, such as genes, um, for example, DNMT3A, TET2, or ASXL1, account for the majority of mutation-driven clonemopoiesis in humans. These mutations, which are really quite rare in the young, are prevalent in the elderly. And when such mutations occur in hematopoietic stem or progenitor cells, they can lead to outgrowth of mutated blood cells. Numerous studies have shown outgrowth of mutated blood cells, termed clonemopoiesis, which is highly prevalent in the elderly. About around 20% of people aged 70 or above have a clone of appreciable size, so that means they really have a clone that we can easily identify that is mutated in their blood system. So it seems that clonal hematopoiesis refers to a clonal outgrowth of stem cells caused by acquisition of mutation as we age. What are the consequences of these um, accumulations of mutations? Yes, that really depends on the type of mutation we identify. Mutations have been found in hematological cancers and have been identified in clonal hemopoiesis as well. Some clonal hemopoiesis mutations have been linked with hematological cancers. And when it occurs in aged, healthy individuals, we call it clonal hemopoiesis of indeterminate potential or CHIP. Certain blood cancers are more common in the elderly population and CHIP might be one factor playing a role in age-related carcinogenesis. For example, we know that some mutations such as uh, DNMT3A are prevalent in AML, but they also occur in, uh, in CHIP and therefore CHIP might be a precancerous stage um, to AML. CHIP is probably a new concept for many of us. What is CHIP? Yes, CHIP is relatively new. It was only discovered in 2014. And it really um, means that we can find mutations that are usually associated with leukemia in normal, healthy aged people. So those people, they don't have a malignancy, they're totally healthy, but still they carry cancer-causing mutations. And with intermediate potential, we really mean that the medical uncertainty associated with, with, with CHIP is quite, um, is, is quite pronounced. And therefore we need to study this disease further. And um, which are the most frequently mutated genes in CHIP? Yes, there, there are several genes that frequently occur in, in large cohorts of patients that have been um, sequenced. And so for example, what we find as one of the common mutations is ASXL1, which is an epigenetic modifier, and this is involved in chromatin remodeling. It, it, it does affect um, 
genetic repopulation capacity, and it does expand the HSP compartment. I mentioned previously that TET2 and BNMT3A are epigenetic regulators that we also often find mutated in CHIP, and they really drive stem cell self-renewal at the expense of differentiation. And one specific point mutation that we find um, often in CHIP is the JAK2V617F mutation. And this mutation really is at the top of a, a protein kinase pathway that drives not only proliferation, but it also provides resistance to DNA damage mediated apoptosis. So those cells can live longer. And it is also associated with an inflammatory response, which obviously is pro-tumorogenic. We also have the tumor suppressor P53, which is often mutated. And P53 has so many roles um, in our system. It is involved in DNA repair. It is involved in autophagy. It is involved in senescence. So really the consequences of a P53 mutation is quite widespread. In the context of genotoxic stress, we often identify PPM1D, which is again a gene involved in DNA damage response, and it confers resistance to apoptosis, so again gives a survival advantage of, uh, to stem cells. And lastly, we have splice variants, and really the role of mutations in splice variants is, is, is quite enigmatic. And while there's no unified view of the mechanism of action of splice mutations, they are more likely to be present in older people age 70 and above and are likely to induce transcription-wide changes. Following your answer, I wonder that many patients uh, would like to know the significance of CHIP. Um, what does this mean for patients who are carriers of CHIP? So for patients immediately, um, it doesn't have an effect as CHIP itself does not denote a malignancy but many of the most commonly seen mutations in CHIPS are actually drivers of uh, leukemias, such as AML, MDS, proliferative neoplasms, or lymphomas. So far, DNA sequencing has been used to identify um, the presence of CHIP mutations in population cohorts, and it was associated with about a tenfold relative risk increase of these malignancies over several years of follow-up. So it means people with CHIP do have an increased risk um, to develop a hematological cancer, although they're, they're phenotypically healthy. Um, and the risk of malignancy is also positively associated with the size of the mutant clone. However, we also know now that CHIP is also associated with um, cardiovascular disease, ischemic heart failure, and stroke. So these people really um, should be monitored quite closely in the future in the clinic as soon as we have better ways to identify CHIP in patients routinely. Okay, uh, let's move to another topic. Um, we have been speaking about the risk of developing clonal hematopoiesis uh, and is largely related to the acquisition of somatic mutations in hematologic uh, stem cells during aging. Uh, however, uh, some epidemiological studies have implicated environmental and heritable components as well. Can you speak a bit more about it? So CHIP is driven by different processes. Clonal outgrowth can be enhanced or enabled by changes in the cellular environment, like I mentioned before, such as inflammation, for example. So we know that systemic inflammation can promote CHIP through, for example, short-term inflammatory stress, which can be caused by lipopolysaccharides in hemato hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells. 
But from mouse models and mouse studies, we also know that new um, that muon tattoo knockout um, hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells display survival advantage compared to their wild type counterparts during acute inflammation. This shows that cell extrinsic factors such as inflammation could really enable the outgrowth of clones with beneficial mutations at the cost of other mutated or normal HSCs, but they could also enhance the competitive fitness or survival of chip mutant HSPCs over time to eventually enable clonal outgrowth. So as I mentioned before, the crosstalk between systemic changes and the blood system um, is really quite intense and important, but we really are just at the, in the beginning of understanding what those changes mean. In 2019, there was a study published in Current Biology by Robertson and colleagues, and they actually found an association between CHIP and mutations in JEC2, TETUN, DNMT3A for that, and epigenetic age acceleration. Epigenetic age acceleration is a measure of biological age based on methylation of CPG sites, suggesting environmental factors independent of mutation types may have an effect. So in essence, patients that CHIP um, showed an overall increased epigenetic age, which is a factor of biological age, so that's su suggesting that they've aged more organismally. Alternatively, perhaps an early clone is responsible for producing an environment favoring outgrowth of other clones over time, and thereby helping other clones to grow and not itself. Or we can also think of the aging environment that might favor specific clonal outgrowth. Overall, I think a combination of intrinsic and environmental factors is likely to favor clonal outgrowth in the long term. SHIP is in general more common in older men. It is more common in smokers, but less common in Hispanics. And we're just starting to understand why these might be risk factors for CHIP. Wow, it has been a very interesting conversation, but uh, has come to an end. So to conclude, I want to highlight four main take home messages. Um, the first one is um, clonal hematopoiesis provides a glimpse at the end results of decades of mutation and natural selection within a tissue. Second, uh, mutations and clone expansions could affect other organs and tissues. Third, uh, potential health implications are very broad as um, clonal hematopoiesis is associated not only with blood cancers but also with cardiovascular uh, diseases. And current research is looking at the links between CHIP and several diseases of aging, such as Alzheimer or autoimmune and liver diseases. And finally, understanding the causes of consequences of clonal hematopoiesis may help us to understand the process of aging more broadly. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Christina Kitchener, for your time and expertise. I hope all listeners have enjoyed as much as I did. Thank you very much, Christina. Thank you for a nice conversation. Now we are about to close. Um, thanks to the audience for joining us uh, today. Remember that uh, this is the first podcast in a five-part series, so we hope you can join us again. Take care and bye-bye.